Can you like deepen my voice a little bit? I can actually. <laughs> it's okay. So I was curious, what kind of boots you wear, and do you shine them? They're uh, Nike Air Jordans. Shut up! <laughs> Let's do this. I'm Ginger Locke, and this is Medic Mindset. This podcast is where I come to meander around in the minds of medics. One guest at a time, I sift through their mindset, practices, routines, and their ups and downs. And you'll notice we're not in a hurry. This is long format with heavy detail. And the paramedic in this episode was so much fun because he wasn't afraid to speak from the heart. When we were all done, he told me I didn't need to edit a thing. He is charming, he knows his medicine, and his dry sense of humor sets a welcome tone for a long chat about some serious and some not-so-serious topics. So I invite you to be a fly on the wall. Listen as we dig in. Let's get started. Can you tell people your background in healthcare and a little bit about where you work now as far as uh, the environment? Well, I currently work in a more rural setting. We do 911 and interfacility facility transfers and have really progressive medicine. It's really a great family environment, really supportive of everyone. Uh, my background comes from uh, an ER. I worked at a level two trauma center. How long did you work there? I was there for about three years, oh, working wow. as a tech through school. That's plenty of time to get the skill set of being a tech down. Yeah, it's. Uh, I learned an invaluable amount of information and skills and assessment practices so many things you can learn from the doctors they can they love teaching most of them and just the sheer volume of patients and thinking about this interview i was thinking i wanted to tap into how valuable that was and if you recommend it to other people that might think they want to be a medic without a doubt i almost think it should be required i agree because when we do the rotations with the students i've learned so much more in those six hours than i could in like six hours on a ride out because of like you said the volume of of Mm -hmm. patients and then also seeing them through their evolution over many hours. In EMS, you see such a small window. In the ER, they're there for several hours. And then, you know, if the floor is full, they get stuck down the ER for a couple of days mm-hmm. at the worst. You get to see a, a very interesting progression. You get to see TPA work. You get to see um, the patient go into cath lab and sometimes come back after cath lab. You get to kind of see what you're doing in EMS, how that affects the patient in the long term. Right. Um, so through school, I was a tech and then pretty quickly after I graduated from paramedic school, I got hired at a, at the, the rural EMS. I've been there about a year, a little more than a year, and I've gotten to really grow as a paramedic and as a person, especially Hmm. we we're rural, so we don't have as, as high of a call volume per se, uh, per truck because our transport times tend to be longer. So to keep our skills sharp, we, we do a lot of training. Okay, so you just came off shift. I'm looking at you with bloodshot eyes. Mm-hmm, Bless yeah. you. Sagging down all the time. No, you're like, not saggy. I can oh, just good. tell you've got red <laughs> red eyes. So did you get a chance to train on this shift? I did. What did you work on? Let's see. So yesterday, we started the day off with an intubation. We're using a video laryngoscope. It's just... Where it seems like it's so easy is the downfall of it because people get so overly confident with it that they think they can just stick it in the patient's mouth and see the cord and shove the tube in and it's fine. Yeah. But really, it's not like that at all. It's It's got its own difficulties. And our percentage since we started doing daily intubations has almost doubled, hmm. which is slightly sad to say that we were that low to begin with, but... Um, well, if you're not improving, you're, you know. Yeah, and if you're not improving, and if you're not even looking at that stuff, the fact that you're collecting the data mm-hmm. and looking at the data speaks volumes. It was a nice slap in the face when we saw that. Right, because some people have those same numbers, they just don't even know it. Mm-hmm. In what way, I mean, it's obvious what in what way it's different from doing it on a real person than a mannequin, but mm-hmm. what is specifically different about it? The biggest difference is the tongue. They can't simulate a big, floppy, wet tongue. In a mannequin. Conveniently, in a mannequin, when it's laying supine, the tongue just 
elevates up and opens the airway itself like it's just a magical floating tongue. But when you try and go in there with a uh, camera on the end of a blade, it's kind of hard to figure out where you are and your landmarks when the tongue's just hanging down so you see roof of of mouth and tongue. Mm -hmm. So we've we've improved on using the the suction catheter to lift the tongue and then get the blade in and that helps number one keeping gunk off the camera screen or the the lens Mm -hmm. and then also finding your landmarks more easily and that alone has helped a lot with everyone i'm trying to think about this really specifically so with let's say with your right hand you're holding the suction with your left hand you're opening the mouth you hold the suction catheter Uh with your right hand got the blade in your left hand and just kind of lead the way with the suction so kind of think of it as like a offensive line and you're they're running back following it with the screen with the camera yeah and once you get all the the gunk out and then you kind of just what we've decided to call it is is hubbing the the suction device and just shove it in the esophagus anything that comes up you're just gonna get sucked up into that suction and then you have nothing between you and the cords Mm -hmm. preferably and have you done this on a person i have did it go that well um no (laughs) um so yes after training a couple of these things I found while missing intubations mm-hmm. and have been able to take my downfalls or mistakes in those, my, my lack of experience, and share that with other people once, I, once we all worked together and figured it out. Also, just conveniently, our medical director came out or informed us of the uh, suction device around the same time that I thought, well, what if we use the suction device to lift the tongue? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a... I don't know, it spontaneously happened that everyone got on board with it and it's working great for everyone. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. We're talking about training. Let's talk about your education, your first education as a paramedic, your sure. uh, paramedic school. I'm curious about this, being an EMS educator. If you could go back to school just for a day, what topic would you want to review? So go back to lecture, lab, clinical. Ooh. Legalities. Oh. I think that's one thing that it's one of the most risky things that we are are dancing on that line every day and not realizing how how bad of a situation we can get ourselves in by not getting a signature, getting the wrong person to sign, um, you know, letting this person refuse when they actually probably shouldn't have been considered competent to refuse. Mm-hmm. Patients in custody, do the law enforcement officers drive with us? Do they? Can they drive behind? Can they release the patient? I know where I teach, we emphasize more uh, medicine, right? Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time talking about medicine, but the operational side, we have an operations class that covers very, I think it's a very broad stroke. That's interesting. I didn't expect you to say that. In the legalities, there's a lot more gray areas than we realize, mm-hmm. I think, especially coming out of school, which, yes, you, gotta, you can't tailor your education to fit one service or the other because everyone does operations a little differently laws laws as fuzzy i think as medicine is there's guidelines but every scenario is different so you have to have the overarching guidelines to know how to finagle all that judgment if i could send you on a call right now you're still in uniform so you'd be mostly ready Uh, if i could send you on a call and i had to send you to the hardest call that you've ever imagined for yourself what would that look like Hmm. There are calls that I used to kind of spend some time not looking forward to, kind of dreading, like, ugh, am I going to be ready for that one? Well, I guess the uh, a common answer would be pediatrics, but I'm so bad with kids, I'd rather have them have an illness that I'm trying to fix rather than trying to talk to them when they're feeling well. So <laughs> that's kind of my... That one doesn't really bother me. <laughs> if you told me there was a doctor on scene mm-hmm. that was unaffiliated with the patient but was passing by and came on scene and was there i'd probably get a little uncomfortable that whole trying to figure out who's running the call who's got the higher responsibility for the patient yep and knowing to get credentials from a doctor is Mm -hmm. one thing that that seems like a really awkward conversation to actually have to have oh yeah Mm -hmm. i certainly had physicians on some of my calls but they never wanted to do a different care plan or basically be in charge they were kind of happy that ems was there in fact um i'll second your pediatrics answer i get that over and over again well let's say today you couldn't work in the field anymore and you had to go back and teach 
what topic, you know, what class would you want to teach or? I'm a paramedic. I love cardiology. Yeah. Cardiology, I think, would be a good in-depth one. I personally learn more from learning cellular up to treatment. Mm-hmm. So the cells, the organ, or cells, tissue, the organ, all the way up to, to what you're going to do to fix it when something breaks. Yeah, and in the paramedic curriculum, we really have the time to do that with cardiology mm-hmm. the whole semester, which is yes. nice. And cardiology looks at, you know, a whole system, but or several systems, but mainly one organ mm-hmm. in, in specific, yeah. and that's kind of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Getting detailed. I really like psychiatric disorders. I think that's one that's not as often discussed and yep. understood, really. It's, it's, it's sadly misunderstood. These are sick people that need help just as much as anyone else, and they don't get it very often. Along the lines of the curriculum, we spend maybe two lectures on psych, which is very disproportionate to the quantity of patients you Mm -hmm. see that are psych, or at least have a psych component. Well, let's go, since we're talking about the heart, let's go to EKGs. If if your patient, you're suspecting ACS, you get your partner to run the 12 lead and they hand it to you. Can you walk me through, when you look at that 12 lead, what you're looking at, where your eye goes first, etc.? Well, if there's big, giant tombstones, I'm probably going to see that just off of pattern alone and then get all mixed up in my process. But my process usually is ABCs. Is there axis normal? Is it abnormal? Any blocks, QRS width, um, you know, heart blocks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And going up to confusers, any left bundles, LVH, anything like that. And then um, coronary syndrome. So is there elevation, depression... Do you ever use the right-sided leads or the posterior leads? I do. Uh, Rarely do I do posterior unless I'm really searching for that zebra. Usually with the posterior, in my experience, you've been able to see the the deep reciprocal changes in the precordial leads, and you kind of just know it'd be a little bit silly to to keep posting those electrodes around the back and seeing what you already know is going to be there. Yeah. Um, If you're comfortable with recognizing that. I think a right-sided is very efficient and wise thing to do. It takes two seconds to pop that V4 and put it on the right side and Mm -hmm. shoot another one. When I was in paramedic school, I worked as an EMT intermediate, which was amazing. That is such Uh a huge part of uh, the things I know is getting for a whole year to watch another medic who I respected tremendously run calls. And she detected a right-sided MI. And at the time, we used to fly MIs out um, because of the proximity to cath labs. And she knew it was a right sided. She decided not to give nitro. The guy was, I don't remember if he was hypotensive, but she was concerned about uh, the possibility of making him hypotensive. And the flight crew came on and did give him sublingual nitro, and he coded on the way to the hospital. Um, they saw him go into VFib. They shocked him so quick, I don't even think he lost consciousness. Hmm. But um, how do you feel about giving nitro any amounts, taste or anything, to right sided MIs? What are you going to do when the, when you do see the right-sided MI and and they're normal tensive? Um, probably not going to give the nitro. I don't mm-hmm. I don't believe that it has much from what I've read that it has much of a long term or any uh, positive effect in the long term on the patient. Mm-hmm. The risks of it I don't think outweigh the reward of giving it. I remember the flight crew brought us the the rhythm strip where they had shocked him, mm-hmm. um, and that just made a mark on me oh, yeah. forever. All right, well, let's switch gears. Um, but I like to know what, what equipment people use on their person. So we all sure. we all take monitors and airway bags, but what do you carry with you physically to a call? So going from the pockets to the belt, I'll say I have a notepad for my notes. And for a couple of reference materials, um, I have some different VTAC criteria, different Wellen syndrome, and another odd confusers and, and different types of MIs that you can see on the EKG in case I forget. I have a pediatric vital signs reference chart because who wants to sit there and memorize all those things and get them confused on scene when you're stressed out because your patient's not doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep a cliff bar or some kind of granola bar in my pocket at all times because you never know when you're going to be three hours away from home hungry. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most, one of the biggest lifesavers. Mm-hmm. And... A pen and a sharpie, a pocket knife, which I can't leave home. I can't even leave my bed without a pocket knife on me. 
What do you use it for? I've cut suction tubing. Actually, last night we couldn't get any shears, so very safely and mm-hmm. cautiously, I cut the uh, capnography in title line mm-hmm. rather than unscrewing it because that's just, well, I got to use my knife. You know? Yeah. Go into my belt to have gum. Mm-hmm. I must. I have our pocket SOCs, a couple more references. I have a Tide pen to go, so in case I get coffee or and when I get coffee on my shirt every day, yeah. I can bleach it back to white in that spot rather than changing. Mm-hmm. I keep pin light, trauma shears, obviously. Stethoscope is an ad scope. Cardiology, some kind of whatever they call their cardiology stethoscope. Where do you put that on a call? On around your neck? What? Humor me here. Sure. I, I like specifics. Yeah. Well, all shift, it sits in the on the dashboard of the truck. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we get out, my process is to just grab it off of the dash, put it around my neck on the calls. And I have hit my tooth pretty hard, leaning over a patient, going code three and hurt, but didn't chip it. Interesting. Although I have seen that, had a nurse knock half her tooth off by a stethoscope by open mouth, leaning over a patient. So wow. Very, that scarred me, the way your uh, nitro story scarred right. you. I think these early experiences really shape us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I had a Game Boy for a little bit for the ride back from those long transfers. Okay, I want to talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. Because I just read a study, and it's old. It's an old study, and I don't know why I'm just now coming across it, but it's from 2012, I think. There is this this woman, and I can't recall her name at the moment, but I'll put it in the show notes. She studies the benefits of video gaming, in particular uh, as they relate to post-traumatic stress disorder. What the evidence is showing is that if you play a very visually stimulating game, Tetris, Candy Crush, something that makes you just, I mean, intense visual focus. If you'll play that for 10 minutes within, I think it's six hours of seeing negative images, which paramedics certainly see, it apparently decreases the occurrence of flashbacks. Interesting. And it just has to do with occupying that visual center in your brain when your brain's, I guess, processing the image. Had you heard this before? No, I haven't. All I've heard is negative things about video games. I know. (laughs) I'm getting a bad rap these days. That thing's heavy, right? You carried this in your pouch? Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You know, that's good for pediatrics, too. Sure. I've Mm -hmm. seen that at the pediatric center, though. Let kids watch a little something or play a little something to distract them. And we have have tablets, and each of us have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. We can... I always, rather than trying to console a baby that I know is hopeless for me, I'll put on a little YouTube video of a train or something and watch them, let them watch it and makes everyone's ride more pleasant. So again, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Specifics here. What what video do you play for these kids? Just YouTube search. Okay. Yeah. What do you search? Train? Yeah. Like children's train video. Or like, <laughs> I thought I would put Teletubbies on, but that kind of <laughs> terrified me when I was younger. So I didn't want to torture the poor child. They're already in, in an ambulance. So I didn't want to do that. Um... Like Thomas the Train? I think that might be it. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm not a kid person. Some type of no train. Idea. Yeah. All right. They like trains. They do. I think. <laughs> this one did. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so you said you had, and I keep having to go back to stuff because I like details. So mm-hmm. you said that you had other reference cards in your, I'll call it your pouch, sure. your belt pouch. Pouch. Yeah. What are they? Just don't call it a fanny pack. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, list of blood thinners. Mm-hmm. Because we're paramedics, we don't get to spend a much, as much time learning all the medications. And it's extremely important to know any patient that's on a blood thinner, from what I've learned. Having a, a reference and not trying to keep up with it personally. Then you can. I also took a little step further and wrote down the ones that are reversible. Uh-huh. So I got that. And then Scarbosa criteria for pace rhythms or left bundle branch block. Working on getting a little stroke scale or neuro assessment in a, uh, what is it, NIH scale? Hmm. Probably be beneficial just to, instead of trying to remember all the different neuro assessments and trying to go through them, why make it harder on yourself? Why not just have a little reference sheet and yeah. pull out in two seconds and have it right there? Yep. You're the third interview and the third person to talk about checklists. Mm. I'm so happy this is checking. Oh, yeah. This is oh, it's- catching on. The airline industry has been doing it forever, and Mm -hmm. um, it's long overdue for medicine to start using more checklists. 
and they do it a lot in the OR as well. But mm-hmm. in EMS or emergency medicine, we've long thought it was almost shameful to bring out a piece of paper, and that's just ridiculous. There's a lot of pride in EMS that needs to mm-hmm. maybe go away. Yeah. So the NIH scale, or the one you think might be called NIH, is this is a, this is a stroke scale? Yes. All right. Because I know uh, the LA pre-hospital stroke scale. I know Cincinnati. Cincinnati yeah. stroke scale. Yep. But and the I NIH don't know. Is, I, that's new for me. It's one that you. It's more of an ongoing test. That's why hospitals use it. And that's why we don't really learn it in EMS. Mm-hmm. But if we were able to go in and tell them, you know, they're. I swear it's NIH. Now I got me a second. Oh, it could very well be NIH. I'm just, you know, I'm learning from you. Sure. If you were to go in and say, hey, you know, like at this time when we made patient contact, their NIH scale was this number. Mm-hmm. And then they'll reassess when they get to the hospital and see if anything's changed, if it's gotten worse or better. Mm-hmm. And then, pending whatever their treatments are, they can go in further. Say so they gave TPA and then, oh, now it's down to this number. Do it. Do it. You can't drink it with your headphones on? Can you hear me swallowing when I. I don't care, you can swallow. Are there speakers in this? No, thing? it's all coming from right here. Oh, ah, okay, I'll just turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know of a medical error you've made? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Uh, Let me think. We had a patient that had the most beautifully pronounced sine wave I've ever seen. Um, It was a cardiac arrest, and I was a partner on this one. Well, my my partner asked me to give sodium bicarb, Mm -hmm. just because it's a wide PEA and SNR protocols, and also probably thinking hyperkalemia, they had that big, wide sine wave. So I draw up, and I go off of the... There's two units on there. Or two units of measure, so units of sodium bicarb, and then I was hmm. drawn it up, I got mixed up, and was a little excited. This was a while ago, and uh, pulled up the proper amount in grams, versus, and not units, and basically had them half the dose that they needed, and it probably, well, it could have brought them back around, who knows. That was sounds like the, the treatment for what the problem was, and mm-hmm. I think I uh, misdosed that one, so who knows what could have happened, but sure. definitely... Oh, that That's one. interesting that you're saying that about the grams. I'm going to have to look at a vial. I thought that was a good idea to put them on the same scale right there. I never noticed side. the grams on mm. there, but I don't doubt it. Might it might be milligrams, but it's, it's some other unit. And interesting. Maybe I was just that tired in that middle of the night and that excited well, about the code. Yeah, I mean, fatigue plays into it, too. Sure. All right, so you underdosed someone. Yeah, that's. Um, mm. I thought you were going to go down the route of you made a diagnostic error because when I talk to new medics, they tell me about their diagnostic errors, and I'm like, no, no, no. That's not a medical error. That's medicine. That's mm-hmm. practicing medicine. Um, and, and really, medical errors, like making a medication error, is also practicing medicine. And I appreciate that you talk about it so freely because I've always said there's two kinds of medics, the ones that have made medical errors and the ones that will. If you haven't made it yet, mm-hmm. you're on your way to doing mm-hmm. it and doing it again, in mm-hmm. fact. So when that happened, when did you become aware that you had underdosed them? When we got back and we were restocking, I looked at the pre-filled syringe and I was like, oh, should we should be restocking two of these. Mm-hmm. Then I realized I gave half a dose. Yeah, and, and I'm curious, did you tell your partner or tell anybody? Oh yeah, I told them we have a we do a clinical variance as we mm-hmm. call it on our website, mm-hmm. our internal website, and we just go on the links and it we type out you know what we did, any reason for doing it if it was a purposeful clinical variance. So we just went in and said what what report it was, what I gave, how much I gave of it, why I did that, if there was a reason. I just said whoops. I'm new uh, here. I'm new here. I was excited and misread the thing, and yeah. I went to the captain, talked to my captain right after the next morning or whatever it was and oh yeah so no big deal just uh, don't do it again you know mm-hmm. thanks for reporting it yeah i found that if you uh, self-report anything you do wrong the, the outcome of it is far less severe than if you try and hide it yeah definitely for your own personal professional future mm-hmm. but also it helps the system so now if people can talk about it at, le- at minimum your partner and your captain now know that that is a kind of a rubbing point that other people can make the same error and when you can address it system-wide it's an opportunity to fix something that usually isn't there's something wrong with the system itself not the human humans sure. are going to work within a system so if you can change mm-hmm. the system yeah so thanks for sharing that one of course do you have a fixed partner no so we all rotate partners throughout our service on our different shifts at least and then we trade shifts so just really you're with everyone at any time Currently, I'm with a trainee mm-hmm. for about the three-month 
roughly three month clearing process that we have. I could talk to you about that for an hour, but I know I only have you for so long. Have you done that before? Have you had trainees before? I have. This is my first long-term one, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a unique situation because I've been a paramedic for a year, and he's been a paramedic for six years. That is unique. That is causing some unique issues. That sounds like a challenge. Mm -hmm. We're working on it. That sounds like delicate. You Mm -hmm. have good interpersonal skills, though, so. Can we dig into that or no? Sure. Yeah. Do you find that they're receptive to your instruction? This one, no, no. I've I've determined. I've I feel quite strongly now that after this last shift, he does not think he can learn from me. Going back to what I said earlier about pride, it's one thing that EMS needs to shed. Is there anything about the job that is hard to you that you just didn't even see coming? Aside from everything, <laughs> specifically. Probably just talking to family, and it was intimidating at first, giving bad news, um, but also educating. I think I think that's what it is. Is, is the we we think of telling bad news to family members and or just explaining what's going on to family members as, as a negative thing, as a scary thing. But it's so easily something that you can turn to a positive and make an education because. Mm-hmm. Really, I think we have a chance to get through to them that that other places, other aspects of patient care don't get to do. And that's it is nice to have that one-on-one time, the one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all goes down to that is we have one one at a time. We do. Well, for the most oh, part. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so I was curious if you had the a fixed partner because, and this is a pretty intimate question, so answer it however you want or don't answer it at all. Sure. The reason this question came to mind for me is uh, we had a speaker come in and talk to our fifth semester students, and he's been doing it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And he gave 10 pieces of advice basically to a new medic. And one of his pieces of advice was don't confuse the intimacy you share with your partner as being romantic intimacy, that it's you have such a tight bond with them that some Mm -hmm. people confuse it or don't keep it straight in their head what that connection is. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you felt that connection? And if you have, what did you make of that? Oh, yeah, I I did. And I pursued it. And I'm working on breaking it. And it's um, been tough. But if you both approach it as adults Mm -hmm. in a professional place, it's something you can can back off from. Like you were saying, my service, we don't have one steady partner for a long time. We kind of do it. It's supposed to be about a two-week thing. But there's so many Mm -hmm. trades, you don't really get a consistent partner. But, yeah, definitely, um, I don't know if it was confused or if it really is something, but sure, um, hard to tell. However, it's not, in my opinion, worth getting mixed up in work and personal relationships yeah. in, that, in that sense. So, It's a unique experience. I loved having a partner. And I had a fixed one, a series of fixed ones mm-hmm. um, that I got really close with, and, you know, they'll always be special. Yeah, there's something invaluable about that. You just have each other's backs for so long, mm-hmm. and you just know what each other are thinking. Right, and the guy that spoke to our gra- graduating class, he was talking about the intimacy that comes with shared experiences. Mm-hmm. I can't see your boots right now, are they? Okay. So I was curious, what kind of boots you wear, and do you shine them? They're uh, Nike Air Jordans. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> big, big puffy ones. These are actually called Redbacks. I think they're an Australian boot. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I take the trucks into the mechanics, it's I'm wearing the same boots as the mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> but they're a slip-on boot that cannot be shined, which is mm-hmm. an unofficial requirement of our of our service. And uh, so I just use the uh, leftovers on the brush after someone else has shined their shoes, their boots, and just shine mine. And it works well enough. They're comfy as heck. I've had them for a year, and look, they look they brand look new, great. don't they? Yeah. Uh- they look really comfortable, too. Yeah. Don't mean to not drop names, but they're a, a slip-on boot, and they're, they're good. No, thing. you can drop names all you want. Sure. What, what was the brand again? Redback. Redback. So I have Blundstones. Blundies. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of these? Uh, no. Um, I'll show you here cool. in a minute. They are also Australian or maybe New Zealand, but like same that. same pull-on sure. thing. Does it have steel toe or no steel toe? No steel toe. Yeah. I wore steel toe and construction for about five years, and I do not ever want to wear those again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you live in the woods? I do. I just moved into a cabin in the woods with holes in the walls and bugs everywhere. And, I love that. Does it have... And the plumbing's this, out right now. Yeah, I don't mean to insult you, but does it have electricity and plumbing? It does. It does have all that. The, the plumbing 
was broken the other day. <laughs> um, so that's off. The electricity is working just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a hole in the wall because when the last people moved out, they just yanked the AC unit mm-hmm. out of the wall, and there's where it's a cardboard box cover right now. Mm-hmm. Real fancy. So this is a dream of mine. This is my escape mm-hmm. dream when I'm stressed or sure. hating modern civilization. I want to live in a tiny house in the woods. Um, so I, I envy you. Do you spend a lot of time alone? I do. I like being alone. Um, yeah, me too. So this was always my dream home idea. It was literally the, a, a small fixer-upper cabin or house at the end of a dirt county road and close to a city. And it, secluded there's a creek right behind it so i can hear that and all the bugs and the critters and stuff anytime awesome. you want to come out i have a guest room well, well i secretly wanted to do this interview there i should have just told you yeah maybe we I, can do a round two I, there i feel guilty of people driving all the way out there that hour or so to just the, to the drive did out. encounter like i did think mm-hmm. about the timeline i was like i'm not sure. sure i can squeeze everything in yeah but i definitely want to come out there yeah i, I will should. bring beer with me i think the the the, the process of it is going to be um, anytime you want to come out and hang out, work off some stress, yeah. do some work, help me out, mm-hmm. I'll provide the beer no matter what. No, Just no, no. Come out and... We'll both bring beer and then we'll have lots of fun. Well, there you go. Beer uh, in the river. You, you're a big camper, right? I am. Camping? I do enjoy camping. That's why I gave you the camping chair to sit in. Oh, yeah. I feel at home <laughs> in it. <laughs> I was like, he'll be comfy in this. Oh, yeah. When I asked to interview newish paramedics, what did you think I would ask? Mm, I don't know. I was kind of thinking stuff that I would suggest to paramedic students mm-hmm. on how um you know what what would you like to let people know who are about to go into the field what you've learned from being in the field for a little bit of time yeah so mm-hmm. that's a two-fold question i do want to sure. ask so sure. the first question is if you could go back and talk to you so if you could talk to yourself <laughs> as you're beginning paramedic school or along that along that road what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now lighten up there's uh no sense in getting worked up it's a hard job and why make it harder by getting all excited mm-hmm. don't be so hard on yourself kind of the same thing just you know enjoy it life's too short to to dwell and be upset about things and so i want to play devil's advocate here because i think mm-hmm. the reason you are such a great medic and i know that you are because we've talked a lot is that you were hard on yourself and you had really high standards for yeah. yourself so academically you had really high standards but what specifically were you hard on yourself about that you would change because I think you don't want to change too much because the outcome's been great. Mm-hmm. But what specifically could you have lightened up about? Not so much the the learning. I think you should. Well, I guess I am kind of contrary to myself, but be hard on yourself. Learn <laughs> what you can. Expect highly of yourself and your education. You, you're in this for the right reasons. If if you are, mm-hmm. just lighten up. It's not like it's a beautiful world out there. There's no sense in and getting all upset on a call and you know when a call drops you know crack a joke on the way yeah you know don't don't get don't let yourself spiral down with the patient they're the one having a bad day not you Mm -hmm. this is this is your dream job enjoy it i like to hear what people talk about on their way to a call because Mm -hmm. when i was in the field it it varied depending on the nature of the call um is that your experience sure um like do you talk about differentials or do you talk about whatever conversation you were in the middle of Depends on how good that conversation was. It's <laughs> like talking about cheese or or camping or something. We'll keep the conversation cheese. going. Cheese. Oh yeah, I love cheese. <laughs> I have cheese. <laughs> oh. What kind of cheese do you like? All kinds. Goat cheese. Chef. Uh, recently, like like goat cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a cheddar guy. Mm-hmm. I like cheddar. All right. Mm-hmm. So you know, keep talking about your cheese. Or uh, if or you- if it's a if it's a good call, like if we think it's a cardiac arrest, it's unresponsive. If it's um. A chest pain, if it's a possible stroke, we'll try and just divvy out the responsibility. So, hey, I'm going to assess the patient. Why don't you get them on the monitor? We'll do. The, we'll each do the 12 lead. We'll, or maybe you get the information from family while Fire and I get the vitals. That's Stuff called, like that. Just um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt because, okay. but I wanted to interject that what you're describing is called a shared mental model. Have you mm-hmm. heard that term? Mm-mm. You're doing it. It's getting everybody on the same page and exactly. the efficiency. It's much more efficient to do it that way if yeah. everybody already kind of knows what's going to happen. And I guess that comes back to our, us having a steady long-term partner or, mm-hmm. or splitting around. If you had a partner for six months at a time, you, you just automatically know what your role is. But when you're switching off, and especially when you have students and when you have a third out 
new hires with you divvying out their responsibilities just takes away all the confusion on scene we get our ekgs done faster we get the patient off scene faster which is what we want to do and obviously we talk about the poor driving skills of the people in front of us <laughs> respectfully loudly <laughs> very loudly as if the horn wasn't loud enough mm-hmm. and the sirens we we like to discuss them there are pros and cons to having a fixed partner the con would be you get it's possible that you you develop like they would enable you to have deficits that they fill in the blank for mm-hmm. right use them as a crutch on something ivs or whatever it might be but the benefit is that shared mental model you're just like a well mm-hmm. oil machine yeah really i had a partner for about a month just kind of happened that way and we were just like that we just knew what we were doing mm-hmm. right into those minds it was cool Okay, so we talked about the advice you would give yourself. Advice to a brand, let's say you've got a trainee, day one, like never had an EMS job ever. How do you frame their the day for them? What, what kind of mindset do you try to get them in? Trying to get them to open up to me in a realistic, non-bullshit way. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, what are you thinking right now? I want you to, I, want, I like to set set the standard of, you're not going to offend me. This is a professional environment. Friendship is regardless here. Just We're not here to be friends. We're here to do your job, get it done. Friendship comes after that. You build that. Over time, you kind of earn it. But right now, i got to make sure you're on the right page. Tell me what you think you're good at. Tell me what we can work on. What concerns you so we can work on that. And then just kind of get through the day of, of see how it goes. Yeah, that's... It's a challenge. Some people mm-hmm. are better at being open than others. So going back to your cabin, I was just thinking about your... Oh, yeah. You do have electricity. Do you have Wi-Fi? Good question. That's what's giving me the most anxiety, I guess, by moving out there is, is I've always had internet. The other morning I woke up and I didn't have text or emails or Instagram to go through. I was like, well, I guess I'll get up and get coffee now. Usually it's like <laughs> 10 minutes later. But... When you do get access to the internet, what, and you, let's say you wanted to get on the web and turn on your medicine mind, what mm-hmm. what websites might you go to if, if you do it all? So if I need to look up anything or if I'm curious about something, um, very first go to so much faith in this website is uh, eMedicine through Medscape. I just search whatever I'm searching and then eMed. I've seen several doctors with decades of experience always using that one. They swear by it and they start using it and it goes. It's for professionals, so all the pathology, pathophysiology, what's normal, what's abnormal, what you're going to see, presentation, all that stuff. Just basically what you spend a week learning in school is there, and you can read through it in a matter of minutes. Yeah. There's a couple of cardiologists that I like to follow. Um, Dr. Smith's mm-hmm. EKG blog is, is a good, good one. one. He's always got something groundbreaking and cutting edge that I try to find, and I never get to see it because they're always rare and... It's just, it, there's a lot of rare stuff yeah. on there. But then there's also um, Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah. You know, that's like just a good reference. Mm-hmm. And I'm not on Facebook, so none of those mm-hmm. sites. There's a couple of Instagram ones. Another has a few doctors and stuff on there that mm. um, post pictures. A lot of trauma ones that just have like gory, weird pictures Ooh, of you're gonna mangled have to bodies. Hook me up with that. Yeah. Do you know their names? Not off the top of my head, no. We'll find out. Yeah, we will. Because Instagram. I'm trying to do it, but I just, it's, it, uh, okay, I like it because I can connect with you. Ah, there you go. You can see my cap and Yeah, there. that's why I know. But it feels redundant with my Facebook, so I haven't figured out what's special about Instagram yet. I'm mm-hmm. sure I will. I'm just an it's, old lady. It's the lack of Facebook. That It's just, you post a picture and you say a little bit about it and that's it. Right. Okay. The, having a photography background, that's, mm-hmm. I like that. So you have an iPhone. Do you use any apps on calls? Or any, do you you use your phone on calls, I should say? Oh, yeah. Uh, Calculator, for sure. Mm -hmm. There's an app called PPP. Not sure what it stands for. But it has our SOCs on it. Or anything the patient has a medication I don't recognize. Or they say they have this weird diagnosis that one in in a zillion people have. I'm not going to try and and bullshit it. There's no no pride for me. I'll look it up. Like, I don't know what that is. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. I've watched plenty uh, ER doctor lookup stuff and it, and, and no shame. yeah exactly that if they if you see them they, they understand that they will always be learning then who the heck are we to think that we're 
Mm-hmm. We got it. So, yeah, we got it figured out. Mm-hmm. And however many years experience. The most recent um, thing I saw Doc looking up was bifascicular block. Mm-hmm. He just he just couldn't remember the exact rules. He was like, mm-hmm. I know. I, I feel like these are the, it's meeting the rules, but I want to just double check. Do you read books? I do. Oh, medical books. Uh, both. Sure. So right now I'm reading the Dharma Bums. It's a Jack Kerouac book. Medical books. We have this great big purple pathophysiology book that I got in school and uh, crack that thing open over I can. It's great reference. Is it understanding pathophysiology? Yeah, that's the one. That one everyone hates, but I love. They just added a chapter to that called Epigenetics. It's about how genes express themselves in hmm. different environments. There's a new chapter in the new edition. Cool. So you're already behind. Dang, you sell that for... <laughs> get $20 for what I spent $100 on and then get buy the new one for 200 bucks. Yes. Yeah. And then our Garcia 12 week mm. books, they're fantastic. They I lost good. mine, so I borrow everyone else's. Oh, I can, I can. Here, I'll, um, I'll give you my copy. No, it's okay. No, I'm going to give it to you. Okay, fine. Really? Um, There's also yeah, Garcia a, uh, is amazing. Yeah. He, he, I love the way he writes. He writes casually, like he'll inject uh-huh. little funny things in there. Yeah, this is a really casual way of explaining something. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Page, kind of similar. His capnography book, I think, is. It's almost like a, a paramedic Bible. They need to have that everywhere. I've had four copies. No joke. Four copies and, and handed them out. So you give it as gifts to people? No, I let them borrow it and it never comes back. So yeah, I give them as <laughs> yes, gifts. Yes, you do. <laughs> In hindsight, I was like, yeah, you remember that time I gave that book? How about the, buying me this thing? Yeah. That's good. Um, so what's this fiction book you're reading? I'm supposed Jack to... Kerouac. He did On the Road. He's a beatnik writer. Basically about hooligans and the beatnik era. Smoking pot, drinking a lot, and driving around cross-country, hopping trains, hitching rides, stealing cars, orgies, minimal orgies, Uh but uh, expression. It's all about about self-expression, freedom of expression, Mm -hmm. counterculture, just free your mind, express yourself type stuff. Nice. Really cool. Really exciting author. You you feel your heart pounding when he's explaining the really exciting parts of the stories, because... He just explains it so well. The heart pounding made me think. Huh. I'm always curious. I had a little bit of a physiological response. I'd say till the time I left the field, I was still. I would mm-hmm. still. I, I, I think it's possible my body still responded, right? Sure. Does yours? Oh yeah. Well, you saw when your when your <laughs> cuckoo clock just went off, and it the first tone of it had the same key as what our tones are. I looked up and started standing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess I still have that little rush of adrenaline. Well, mm-hmm. I'm probably always going to have it. Just I still definitely still feel it. And um, biggest is when I'm laying down at bed. I'm just about to fall asleep, and I hear what I, th- I call phantom tones, and mm-hmm. I think I hear a tone, and I, my heart jumps and starts going real fast. And it's like, yeah, I definitely do. So, okay, so tones go off, yes, physiological response. On cause, are you feeling... Ramped up, how do you manage that? Think of paramedic students who are probably feeling it on every oh, single yeah. call. Can you think of basically anything that you know that you do to calm your body? Take a big deep breath. I found you just it, that stress just builds and builds and builds, and if you don't do something about it, it's just going to keep mixing up and making it harder for you to think. So just stopping and, you know, you can take the five seconds to just step back Take a deep breath. Your patient's not going to die in five seconds. Mm-hmm. And if they are going to die in five seconds, they're going to die anyways, mm-hmm. no matter what you do. Probably even for a minute. Yeah. Probably don't want to be ne- neglecting them for a whole minute, but, mm-hmm. you know, send, out, send a couple texts and, you know, <laughs> co- coordinate lunch with your partner. And then, and then come back. Yeah. Then. But, no, um, yeah, taking a big deep breath is something my preceptor in school taught me is, and I think it's a pretty common thing, but, but it really does work in this, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about it builds and builds and builds and it actually grows. And I think it's because you, okay, so you have a little stress response. Your body responds and mm-hmm. it responds in whatever way it does. And then you notice your body responding and then it loops back around and you respond yeah. more. And it's just this Respond feedback to yourself loop. responding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I see it with students in skills testing. Mm-hmm. They'll see their hands shaking and then it just ramps up. Mm-hmm. And taking that step back, it, five seconds is plenty of time because it actually will seem like a minute five seconds Mm -hmm. when other people are being crazy around you can feel like a minute okay good advice take a deep breath have you been stressed like that on a call 
And has it ramped out of control for you before? Not to where I couldn't function on the call anymore. Uh, I, I do have a temper and I'll throw a piece of equipment if it's not working. Mm-hmm. Usually not glass. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably why our thermometers don't work. I'm say, we don't have many glass things in EMS <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> right. Any other advice to paramedic students? When you're a student, you're in school, and you're being trained, is you always have someone watching over your shoulder making sure you don't kill the patient. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as soon as you don't have them, I found that um, that's when you truly make a decision. Mm-hmm. The whole time it's just been practice. And yep. even though it doesn't feel like it's practice, if you really feel like you're being thrown to the wolves sometimes, um, once you are out there on your own, you're making the right, de- you're making the decisions and, and then you, you're the one to learn from it. And it's on, it's on you to make the right decisions, mm-hmm. not just for patient care, but to follow up on patient care, how to get better on, do it better on the next time or how to follow up on what's happening with the patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're telling this story and I'm thinking of the person who trained me in the field and she was hardcore. Like she was pretty tough. She mm-hmm. was a graduate of the same paramedic school that I went to. And so she was tough on me because I was in school at the time. And I remember more than once saying to her, I'm really not comfortable doing this. And her saying, like, I really don't care if you're comfortable. Like, this isn't, mm-hmm. you are not going to be comfortable. Like, EMS isn't comfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You're sitting on Such the edge of comfort. a great feeling. It is a good feeling? Yeah. It is know, when it's over. Why. Yeah, right. <laughs> what do you like about it? I don't know. It's just, it's the fact that I'm not sitting there sweeping the floors anymore. Like, not sitting there at a desk typing on a computer all day and I'm not sitting there whining and dining clients. It's mm-hmm. I'm out there doing real life stuff. And that feeling that that sheer terror of, oh my God, I could kill them right now. Mm-hmm. Or I could fail in unkilling them right now is, mm-hmm. is such a, a great, exciting feeling that makes you feel like you're doing something with your life and hopefully affecting other people, hopefully in the right in a good way. You came really close to commenting on something that I love about it. It's probably my favorite thing about EMS, and that is uh, I get really tired of small talk and disingenuous conversations. Yeah. I like authentic. That is what every EMS call was to me. Like, it's, like People who are sick or injured can't be anything but real. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly authentic. Uh, since you've been in the field for over a year now and you worked in the hospital, what could we do in EMS what do you notice that we do differently in EMS or we could do better in EMS to be more like what's going on in hospital? I think one thing we could all benefit from as, as EMS providers is, is documentation. Having read a lot of doctor's reports and the ER working there and also following up on patients, their, their documentation is so thorough. I think EMS, we accept a lower standard of documentation. And uh, one example I can think of right off the top of my head is interpretations of 12 leads and just saying non-diagnostic for STEMI. I don't see that as being professional or, or thorough at all. I guess I can just tell you my Yeah, I would love to hear a, it. So let's just say an, our normal one would be sinus rhythm, or normal axis, no ectopic complexes, QRS is not wide, no remarkable SC segment elevation or depression. And that's my go-to copy-paste normal. And that's how I know I've covered everything that I know to look for, that I even looked for. And then if there's confusions, add that in there. If there's this or that abnormalities, add that in there. That really covers it. And the, and the way I was thinking about it is if you get a get called to the stand on a court case or just a review of your call at some point, and they say, hey, can you interpret this 12 lead for me? You go ahead and interpret it. And they say, okay, that's what you interpret it as now. But two years ago when you had this call, what'd you think? Oh, you just said non-diagnostic, so you really can't tell me what you were thinking back then. Also, just instead of just clicking or writing no abnormalities on extremities, say moving all extremities equally. Do you guys have a box that, that you can click? Oh, yeah. We yeah. have the clicky boxes, and people love the clicky boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Right, so that was a question I wanted to ask, is if you could go back to paramedic school and add stuff to the curriculum. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you would add more emphasis on that. I know it's hard to do operations more thoroughly, but that's what I came out of school feeling the most unprepared for. And maybe that is just something you have to learn from your new your new career and your new job and that you can't learn from school because any profession you're going to go into, you're going to learn a foundation, but you have to build upon that. And and I get that. I, well, I let me comment on that. Sure. Uh, so every school does decide. I mean, they've only got so much time with these guys, so they decide where they want to put their emphasis. Mm-hmm. And so some schools are literally like have an ambulance and teach driving. You yeah. know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. how some people elect to do it. Where I teach, we emphasize cardiology for sure, differential diagnosis, mm-hmm. 
uh, assessment flow. But if I had to drop one or the other, mm-hmm. I would drop the operations because the medical curriculum is so invaluable for what we do. That's that's the heart of what we do. That is paramedicine. Mm-hmm. And the operations is, is how we paramedicine. What else would you add or delete? I don't know. I liked how strict it was. I liked... The, the terror of showing our, up our five minutes late. Our graduates like how strict it was after the fact. They say that <laughs> over and over, but while they're with us, they, they really hate us. Mm-hmm. But after the fact, it's it's like this. Like, I can't be late or my partner mm-hmm. will hate me. But now that I'm training and, and more involved with students that ride out with us, seeing the lack of professionalism, and it's even some schools where they wear a uniform to school, which I didn't have where I went, but, you know, they, it, they had this professional image but they get to the station and they're falling asleep by nine in the morning and they're kicking their feet up on the table sitting on the couch and not studying and it's just that's something i did want to ask you if i can sure yeah you you? want to keep me going or no can i keep you for a little bit longer because i wanted to ask you this question i'm all i got all day i love it Um, i have no ac to go back to in my cabin that's because that's what a paramedic student would want to hear from somebody that's in the field is okay where where's the tripping point what could i do on a ride out to really inadvertently hack off my preceptor, what other stuff would just really grate at you? Irk me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Headphones in mm-hmm. when you're a student. If you're not watching a lecture or something that's part of your school curriculum. Uh, Facebook. I can't stand Facebook to begin with, so yeah. I... Yeah, that's just a bias. That's me. Bullshitting with your preceptor mm-hmm. when you have no room to bullshit. I think kind of... kind of. This sounds kind of old school and... But I think you kind of earn the right to bullshit. You you have to feel it out. Mm-hmm. And I think a student coming on, it's just not a productive, professional interaction when you sit there and bullshit with your preceptor. So is you bullshitting can, talking about drinking at the bar? Is bullshitting war stories about EMS? What is bullshitting? Yeah. Um, like being, I think what yeah. I always say to students is, being overly comfortable. Yeah, I think that might be what I'm getting at. But is, like, give me an example of like somebody that's bullshitting. What does that mean? War stories. Uh-huh. I can't. I I really don't like to hear anyone talking war stories. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, and that's how I was raised. My dad was a cop, mm-hmm. and he explained, you know, just how frustrating and annoying it is. And like, either I got it from him complaining about it, or I got it from whatever reason that he thinks that way. Is just the war stories are they're not necessary. I tell very few of my stories, my calls that I ran. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I'm a bad storyteller, for one. Like, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> um, but you'll notice, like, on this on these podcasts, like, I'm not asking for specific calls. Like, sure. that's not what this is about. This is mm-hmm. about your experience and kind of how you get how you get through it. Because I think some people struggle, and they don't stay in the field long. Do you have coping strategies? Have you had bad calls? Gnarly, gnarly uh, bad calls? Whatever would be bad calls? for you. So stressful or gnarly or uh, tragic, probably is a good word. I picked this habit up when I was in the ER, but anytime I have a patient that expires that I've taken care of, um, I I take a day to do something for them. And that's mm-hmm. that's the way I cope with it. It's, it's it, I try to pull something from the short interaction I have with the patient for example, I had a patient that died from a boat wreck, mm-hmm. and I took my kayak out the next day with a friend, and we just went down kayaking and had a few beers and talked about life and mm-hmm. made a positive out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of celebrating life in a way that they can't anymore, so doing it for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to cut you off, but was the friend an EMS person or a non-EMS person? I tried it with my partner. If my partner on the call or whoever else was a provider there, they're all invited. I'd always try and let them know. Um, bring them with me and, and get them out to see if it works for them. And I had some friends at the, at the ER that started doing it too. And they'd, they'd have a code when I was not working. They would work and then they'd be like, hey, I'm going to go do this for this guy. And it was, it was really good. It felt good. It helps you cope. And That's novel for me. I've never heard of that practice, and I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's doing something, so we're going to be thinking about that uh-huh. call or that patient, so physically going and doing something yeah. ritualistic sounds yeah. really really novel. Sure. It's been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you write? I attempt to write songs. Mm-hmm. Not about any of this stuff. <laughs> no? Not about EMS no, stuff? No. That'd be a funny song. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be hilarious. How would it go? Will you, will you write one? I'll try to. Okay. Ooh, I want to ask you this. 
Because I know that you take infrequent showers. <laughs> this is going to come up. I don't, I don't even know what I want to ask, but I just want you to talk. Do you shower on shift? No. <laughs> okay, let me back up. Do I shower off shift? No. Do you kidding. shower? <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally. Uh, no, I, I... What's your hygiene regimen? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's that strict. <laughs> if it's that form. Oh, right, it's not a regimen. Yeah. What's your hygiene practice? <laughs> I believe in natural oils and keeping your skin free of all the crap that they put in shampoos and say it's hydrating and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I bathe when I feel dirty, when I stink. Mm-hmm. Usually it doesn't get to that point. Usually I feel... Like, I should take a shower or something. Until recently. I it, I went about two or three years without ever using shampoo. Oh, wow. Mainly just vinegar and baking soda. Interesting. Occasional coconut oil. You have good hair, though. Because I didn't use oh, shampoo. Maybe so. But right now I'm using some all-natural crap that probably has... So you use... Tell me what you stuff. used again. Uh, apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Actually, so you go with that. The baking soda helps with dandruff and, and cleaning your hair hair but it leaves all the oil mm-hmm. you rinse that out and then you your ph is like sky high now right so then you put uh, apple cider vinegar kind of mm-hmm. even out the uh, uh ph buffers it and then you have um really silky smooth shiny hair it's actually mm. and it smells like vinegar if you really get a whiff of it mm-hmm. but it looks nice well so you don't have to add hair. any oils back in no um when i get out sometimes i'd use like a coconut oil mm-hmm. in my hands there's yeah. some essential oils for scents mm-hmm. yeah you have a really healthy microbiome i, th- I bet i bet right right yeah it's probably all crazy all sorts of crazy things growing in there but they're healthy probably yeah. I lo- okay so that's really unique um what do you do with your food habits your eating habits on shift on shift i will not cook on shift and i Honestly, don't even. I, I do it as to be polite, but I don't like to be cooked for either because if I have an hour between calls and it takes that entire hour to cook and then I don't get to eat, I get really grumpy. Mm-hmm. And so I like to either cook at home or eat cold foods, foods mm-hmm. not to prepare. This is going to get personal, but I was just thinking about the fact that you told me you went to a fancy restaurant with your family. Mm-hmm. Is your family pretty affluent? Affluent. affluent. Uh, well off. No. Um, no. So, okay. Now, my, my parents, my dad was a cop, my mom was a teacher, so basically cool. what I make. So you're kind of like both your parents, you're a cop and a teacher. <laughs> Do you remember when you told them you wanted to be a paramedic? Yeah. All growing up, I wanted to be a cop like my dad. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you don't want to be a cop because of the politics and the lack of support. And then someone always wants to shoot you, probably, <laughs> maybe. And so I said, you know, I want to do something on the streets, though. So I thought firefighting. Everyone loves a firefighter. Everybody they loves rarely a firefighter. ever get shot at. Mm-hmm. You know, they do great things for people. So I went to EMT basic school because it's required here uh, to be a firefighter and decided I didn't want to be a firefighter. I want to be on the ambulance. And so I went back to school. How did you make that decision? How did you come to realize that you didn't want to be a firefighter and you did want to be a medic? Just learning about medicine, how the body works, and not being satisfied with the empty basic. That was probably the moment that I was nearing the end of school and felt like I knew everything. Mm-hmm. And then I rode out with a paramedic and I was like, I know nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, empty basic, you, you learned so much. So, the hardest class I ever took. It's a hard class. So, what did your parents think when you told them? They or what did they, how did they respond when you told them? They thought it was a good idea. They liked it. They were willing to help me through school. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time. And, uh, what do you mean the second time? Uh, I have a degree under undergrad in photography okay. that they helped me with the first time. Mm-hmm. My dad has a lot of firefighter friends. And so he still thinks I should go the firefighter route. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's very supportive of my paramedicine. And, and now that I've gotten my feet on the ground, he's, he's like, yeah, you, I understand why you want to stay paramedicine. Yeah. If you had a kid. Or some kid that admires you, and they said, I want to be a medic. You would encourage that? I wouldn't discourage it. <laughs> would you redirect them to anything? No. You wouldn't say, ah, you might want to go to PA school, or you might want to go to firefighting? or. Well, there's always an option afterwards. Yep. Paramedicine is, being a paramedic is such a short career for some people that mm-hmm. usually they get into it and realize, well, I like this, but I may all go this way. And 
or I didn't like it because of this, and I'm going to go that way. And There was a period of time I was thinking about getting my RN. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of medics think about that Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason. I think oh. many reasons. I haven't done that, but at the time I talked to a friend of mine who's a nurse, and she said these words to me, and I've never forgotten it. She said, nursing has been very good to me. And I thought, nursing's been good to you? Like, what does that even mean? And basically what she meant is she's enjoyed her career. It's been mm-hmm. a good career path. And I think, can I truthfully say EMS has been very good to me? I think it's hard on us. Yeah. And I've found a place in EMS that I love and I'll keep doing and it brings me great happiness. But I look at a lot of paramedics and I think, man, that looks hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love how difficult it is and how a lot of people can't do it. Mm-hmm. But who knows how long it'll be until I can't do it. What would keep you from doing it? I don't know. Maybe getting worn out, physical injuries. Maybe deciding I want to move on, move up like a PA, NP. I could see you being a PA. Yeah. But I'd want to be one on a truck. <laughs> you can't do here. Well, that's cool. So that means you really love what you're doing. I do so far. So it's either maybe stepping up to PA, but... Yeah, maybe, and teaching or something completely different. I wouldn't be satisfied going from the truck to being a nurse, I think. Mm-mm. Plus, I worked in the ER for three years and learned to hate the idea of doing what they do. You got a first-hand view. Mm-hmm. They have a wonderful job, and they, they have so much respect for nurses, but not for me. Yeah. A good nurse is worth so much mm-hmm. when they're good. Yeah. So, so valuable. When, when I was leaving... The hospital, I made some, I made good friends with some nurses. And so they were basically starting their nursing career and I was starting my paramedic career. I still talk to my, to my coworkers, my friends and, and on my downtime and still look up stuff, talk about calls, talk about, you know, this medicine or this pathology and this physiology. And then and I talked to the nurses and they're just like, oh, you know, we had a, we had this many patients in the waiting room and like, I had these charts to, to do and then this patient needed this and this doctor needed this and I'm like they never talk about medicine and like what's going on in the body and it's mm-hmm. I realized that I definitely do not want to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's reminding me of a Netflix movie I watched. It was a documentary about emergency medicine res- residents, Code Black, and it was about these residents who worked at a trauma center and that's why it was particularly important to me or uh, interesting to me. They just got bogged down in the bureaucracy and they yeah. weren't they were missing the medicine and. It's a really interesting look on healthcare. It's funny to think about, like how paramedicine is developing so much, mm-hmm. and I wonder if, and then you know, hospital acquired diseases and stuff. Like, who mm-hmm. thought that was a good idea to shove them all in one place? <laughs> what if we're gonna turn it back around and have doctors visiting patients, yeah. and maybe primary healthcare is gonna be paramedics going to a patient's house, doing some blood work, recognizing. Uh, pneumonia or something mm-hmm. and then treating them at home mm-hmm. where they're controlled their environment they don't have anyone else's bacteria they're not sharing their bacteria with anyone else yeah makes so much sense i want to ask this and i'm not even sure of my own answer so good luck <laughs> uh, is there a certain personality type that makes for a good medic do you think i think what makes their medicine so good is that so many different personality types can do it do you classify yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? I don't know. I'll give you the definitions of both because the definitions are different than what I thought. Oh, okay. So I always thought introvert meant shy. Introvert is more nuanced than that. And it's basically, okay, so which what environment do you go to recharge? Would you rather be in a group of people and that's where you regain in- energy? Or would you rather be quiet and alone and that's where you regain energy? Quiet and alone. Yeah, same Especially here. lately. Yeah, I find myself getting like you saying earlier, getting bored of just the mundane small talk. Mm-hmm. I think EMS ruined me in that way. Yeah. Because when I go to coffee talk, mm-hmm. well, not coffee talk, because talk, coffee talk can get pretty intimate, but cocktail party talk, oof. Early on, then maybe later you start to spill the beans. <laughs> there <things>. you go. <laughs> Good point. At the beginning, I'm just like, ugh, we've mm-hmm. got to get real here really quick or Ginger's yeah. done. Yeah, exactly. So when you're on shift, do you spend a lot of time alone or do you sit and chat with your partner i try to stay busy throughout most of the day if i'm not running calls i want to be productive and responsible with my time so trying to work on our training program currently trying to get my new hires to to study and and help them get to know our system if i'm feeling a little wound up i'll go and listen to music and lay down do you take your guitar to shift i have i do enjoy doing it especially if i'm working on a new song or working on learning some riff or something i'll Mm -hmm. i'll bring it 
and usually it's it's a hit. People like it. Mm-hmm. I bet. And we have a few musically talented, musically inclined people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have been known to have jams. Well, I I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I really could. So hopefully you'll come back and talk to me again after you've had maybe another year of experience and you yeah. have a new perspective. You have a really neat perspective on things. You're uh, you're you're a rare breed, I think. Yeah. I think so. Try to mix it up. I mean, yeah. who else doesn't shower for two weeks at a time, a year at a time, who knows? This room will, will have your scent in it for at least a week. Right. Does it smell? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> I did just get off shift. I know. All right, well, I don't have a good ending for these things, so thank you. Thank you. Last little bit before you go. In this episode, you heard me mention show notes. If you want to know more about anything we talked about in the episode, go to medicmindset.com. Find the episode number, and there you will find links to things we talked about. For example, I link to the books he recommends, video demonstrating how he uses the suction catheter during intubation, etc. Here's a secret. I work twice as hard on the show notes as I do in the audio, really. The audio is a breeze. We talk, record, post. But the show notes, that's where I really do the work to find you resources you can use. So, hope you enjoy them.